Hello, and welcome back to Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast. I'm Dr. Julian Brinkley, your host. In today's world, the way people get around is changing rapidly. From the emergence of ride-sharing and electric vehicles to autonomous vehicles and spacecraft, new technologies are fundamentally changing the way we move around our cities and beyond. I believe to understand existing mobility technologies, as well as to imagine what comes next, we must think beyond our understanding of mobility as purely getting from point A to point B, and must instead think about the experience of mobility itself. In this podcast, we will explore the design of mobility technologies with an emphasis on understanding how best to support the human user. We'll be talking to designers, researchers, engineers, and experts in the field about how they design compelling, accessible, and engaging experiences at some of the world's leading mobility companies. So whether you're an industry professional, an educator, or just someone with a passion for mobility, design, UX, and technology, this podcast is for you. Let's get into it. Welcome to Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast. Joining us today is Ridwan Pathagara, UX designer at General Motors. You may know General Motors as the company that brought you the Chevy Corvette and the Cadillac Escalade, but GM is also an American multinational corporation that designs, manufactures, markets, and distributes vehicles and vehicle parts. With a passion for innovation in the transportation industry, Ridwan brings his expertise in user experience design to help realize a safer, better, and more sustainable future. Prior to his role at General Motors, Ridwan gained valuable experience from various companies, including Vio, Momentum Design Lab, and Pastiche Home. His commitment to enhancing customer experiences and collaborating effectively with cross-functional teams makes him a valuable asset in driving innovation at General Motors. He holds a BFA in interior design from the California College of the Arts. Welcome, Ridwan. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and thank you for having me. Wonderful. Really appreciate you making the time to join us on the podcast today. So let's jump right into it. So what attracted you to your current role uh, at General Motors? What attracted you to it? And can you tell us a little bit more about what you do specifically? Sure. So my journey to the automotive industry started after my time at Momentum Design Lab. I was working with a variety of different industries at Momentum and a variety of different web and mobile products. And after leaving Momentum, I, I did some soul searching and I love cars. I've always loved cars. I have a whole collection of the Hot Wheels collection of cars and everything. So I wanted to kind of follow my heart and took the first step into the micro mobility industry with Vio which is the make electric bikes and scooters. And I was leading their, leading the design for the mobile application. And that's from Vio, I wanted to graduate into the automotive industry, which was my goal. And that's what led me to GM. And I got hired into GM, starting with the inventory team. So I led design on an internal inventory application, which looks, looks at managing global inventory for all GM vehicles. And for the past few months, I switched to designing, the leading design for a production line simulations for software at GM that simulates productions for our new electric vehicles before they are built. Gotcha. Just to make sure that I'm understanding this correctly, you work a lot with the design of many internal tools that are used by General Motors. Yes, that's correct. And in your user experience design, I'm responsible for the research and the user interface design of the applications. Wonderful. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what does a day in the life look like? Can you take me through that? Absolutely. So in a day in the life for me, currently as part of the manufacturing team is 
We work in an agile method here at GM. So we have agile software teams, which means that uh, teams are working in sprints. So there's design sprints that last either two to three weeks, and that's followed by development sprints, which I work with software engineers, which are front-end who are responsible for building the interface and back-end engineers who are responsible for the data that is feeding into these applications. And I work with product managers to make sure that we're aligned on the goal of the project, the business goal, the design goals, and aligning the engineering team on those goals as well. And you work in these cycles through testing and iterating on different versions of the software until we get to the to until we meet our goal. Understood. So can you talk a little bit about, to the degree you can, I know with some of these systems and some of the things that people work on, there are limits to what you're actually able to speak about. What were some of the key challenges in your most recent project in terms of one of the systems that you were just describing, either the inventory management or something similar? What were some of the key challenges that you overcame? To be careful about the privacy, of course, here at GM with these applications. But I can give you some points on the key challenges on both of these. So the inventory side, it's you have gaps in data, right? That the our sales team, our dealership networks, they're receiving incorrect data or non-accurate data on when customers are getting their vehicles, right? In terms of delivery times, production changes, things like that. So there's a big delay in between the information relay between the dealerships and the our customers. So the inventory application was fixing those information gaps by kind of providing this streamlined view and fixing those data issues. So the dealership, people can immediately get the correct data and say like, hey, here's a vehicle, I can track it, I know exactly where it is. I know it's on this train come, you know, coming to the next production production plant or assembly, and this is exactly where it's gonna get to you. A lot of companies currently don't have this super kind of accurate data on when you know when their vehicles are getting to them and what stage of production they are in in terms of delivery. So GM was kind of GM is one of the first companies to kind of solve that and get better at fixing and producing this data. So that sounds like a really complicated problem to solve, really, with a lot of different stakeholders. What is generally your approach to trying to understand user needs? And there's also, I have a follow-up question to that as well, but I'll let you speak to that first. What techniques or strategies maybe did you use to get a firm understanding of what the key problem was from a business perspective that you were attempting to solve? Right. So UX research is the key here. That's really what user experience is. And the side is the user interface design. So UX research is, is means that we are understanding the user needs by un, you know, first contacting them, inter- interviewing our internal users on the frustrations that they're having, their needs, the gaps of information they have, and what their needs are. And before we go into this research phase, obviously, we're first aligning on the business goals, right? What does GM want want to get out of this application, right? What are we trying to solve here? What's a business goal? What In terms of money savings, right? How much money is this saving GM? How effective is this application going to be? We align that with interviewing the users, creating a report on their frustrations, exactly which applications they use currently, what's not working for them. And we can then formalize a plan on the design side, which aligns exactly to those, to the first of the business goal and then the research goal as well. Understood. You touched on something a moment ago, and we didn't really dive into it. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to really speak to this. You were talking about privacy. Can you talk a little bit more about that and you know what that looks like in terms of the applications that you're working on and what you're designing? 
Yeah, so privacy, I can speak of it in two parts. And one is the actual privacy of the security of data in our internal side, which GM takes, of course, it takes very seriously. So we have multiple levels of security clearance that who has access to what data in terms of looking in just internally for GM employees. And we use the same level of security clearances and security level is, is reflected in the vehicles that GM makes as well. So as we know that, you know, there's more and more data that's being used in vehicles. There's more and more screens, more and more applications, more and more software use that's happening. And how do we protect this data? So in terms of privacy of customer data, plus employee data, there's, again, multiple levels of security clearances happening. There's big emphasis on user-based permissions all going on as well on who has access to what data and checks where, you know, and we have a layered security system where if there is a cyber attack on the data, there's layers of security where we have one wall basically blocking out the attacks. If one fails, then the other is set up. So we have this level of protection from both internal and external data. That makes sense. So to follow up on that, when you're actually designing uh, user interfaces and experiences, are there any considerations that you take into account to ensure the protection of sensitive user data and privacy? Yes, and relates back to my previous answer as well on, on user permissions. So in a interface, user interface level, uh, user management is, is key here. So making it easy for admins to understand who, you know, who has access to what is their level, what is their security clearance, easily for them to manage, manage that list of people. And in terms of based on GMIDs and who has clearance to what. But also the challenging part of this is just encryption of data as well. So we have to really be careful about in terms of data flow on in terms of applications. So there is a certain a specific channel of data that is because of security clearances can only be access to one app or the other apps. So, so in terms of does UX user experience design, you have to make sure work with the engineers and making sure that, hey, you know, if this application has the correct data, are we going to have any error states that the user is going to come across because they don't have access to the current data? So designing for those as well, kind of backup data sources, you know, actions that they can do to fix situations in terms of user permissions, things like that is something that we have gone for when designing the application. So it sounds like you're working really with a number of different teams at General Motors to basically, you know, do your job on a day-to-day basis. Is that accurate? Yes. Well, let me ask you this. Your work is really interesting. Have you started to do any work inside of the vehicle yet? Or is most of your work really focused on internal tools primarily? So most of my work is focused on internal tools, but I do get to work with the internal vehicle designers as well to make sure that our applications, in terms of the the link between the data sharing between the vehicle and our internal systems is working correctly. In terms of manufacturing, that works correctly and all the data connections are in place and the user experience flows smoothly from our internal systems to what the customers see. Oh, so you're involved actually. Now, would that have any relationship to some of the HMI work, like HMI design, or is that primarily, you know, figuring out how information flows or, you know, what that looks like? Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the HMI work is, from my side, is more on the actual assembly line. So looking at what the GM factory workers use to actually build the vehicle. And at the points of the assembly line where it has to do with the internal software, and I work with the internal software vehicle team to make sure that there's no issues in terms of data that they would have to set up their operating systems. 
Okay. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. How did you really get into this line of work? Like, what was your journey to basically get here? So my journey, I mean, I've been at GM for over two years now. And from the inventory side, I was very, very interested in getting into learning more about the manufacturing process and how vehicles are built exactly and you know, touring the plants as, as well, of course, and observing how everything is built. And, and just the challenge of the software side of manufacturing is manufacturing, I mean, because it's such a dense information heavy process that has a lot of insider knowledge in terms of user depth. And that's something that is always a user experience is, is not really has seen a lot of light in this space. So I was interested in that aspect of it as well, that there's a lot of challenges in how to make a, be- you know, a better user experience that you have currently uh, in manufacturing in terms of HMI controls, this UI design as well, and designing for better management of our production of our vehicles. Now, what type of impact has your work had up to this point? I would imagine that you know, when you are designing for you know an assembly line and you're designing for a manufacturing process, one of the big things that is a consideration, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know this, you know, with a degree of certainty, but I would imagine that one of the things that gets looked at in this regard is basically what is the impact on efficiency? Like, what does the work you're doing, you know, what is that relationship between efficiency and the actual processes of building the vehicles and things like that? So does any of your work look at how to make the assembly line workers' processes uh, more seamless or more efficient? Is your work focused on efficiency or is it primarily usability to make the systems that more usable, basically? I would say it's both of those things. The, the goal of in manufacturing, the goal is to produce our vehicles as efficiently as possible with as much, you know, avoiding any issues in production. And the software that I'm designing does exactly that in terms of our controls, our plant engineers and control engineers, giving them a view into a simulation of a production of a vehicle. And when, if they're, you know, building a new drivetrain, a new battery, things like that, they can watch a simulated version of that assembly in the software and see, if, you know, what, what is failing, what alerts come up, you know, and they can see how fast a drivetrain is being assembled, you know, what are the issues they're having in terms of working with suppliers and parts. So I would say both of those things in this is how we test and create the production of most efficiently as possible and also give the workers the same efficiency in their own work. What type of testing do you do on these systems? So, and really to put a finer point on it, talking about efficiency and supporting the needs of those who are going to be using the software, right? With the overall goal being to try to make the manufacturing process a little bit more efficient or make it easier for them to essentially interact with uh, production systems. So what type of evaluation do you do on the software that you produce or that you design? So the evaluation is based on Again, it kind of ties back to, to user research and our business goals. But the evaluations that we perform is, there's a number of testing that we perform. This depends on whether this is a web product or a desktop product. And for both of these, we have our own internal systems to monitor the best use of the software. So we have tools called in heat mapping that we can need to see clicks and where exactly the user is clicking, what grabs their attention first. And we have structured user testing to see, you know, they're meeting the goal of what we're showing them, you know, we give them a go like, hey, please test this drivetrain assembly on this particular model. So we'll watch them go and how do they search for that model? How do they apply the test? You know, where are they clicking on the, the simulated assembly line? 
all of those, you know, heat mapping, we use, I mean, in some cases, eye tracking as well, when we have actually physical controls that they can play with. We use, I mentioned heat mapping already. There's A-B testing to different versions of the design that they can test between the two and which one is the most better design in terms of efficiency or getting the task done quickly. So, and these tools are commonly used, but there's a different level that we use in terms of eye tracking and other methods that we use for physical controls. So talk a little bit more about eye tracking, you know, so that the listeners, for those who aren't really familiar with the technology, can you talk a little bit more about what eye tracking is, how you use it, you know, what you hope to find when you use eye tracking glasses, you know, that really sum that up? Yeah. So in terms of physical control, so we're also testing for user experience at the assembly line. So the engineers that are at the assembly line, they're looking at a lot of physical controls in terms of buttons, the task buttons, you know, to see what is what task is failing. They can actually shut down the line with a key on and off switch. So they actually flip, you know, switch to a key off to turn a part of the assembly line down when they see something is failing and it's going to block the entire line. Do that to fix it. There's that the stop line buttons, different task buttons. So eye tracking comes very handy when we have a new layout of these buttons, the more efficient layouts if you're testing, you know, version A versus version B. So we use eye tracking and it's a company that I can't say. Uh, on the call on who we use for this software, but it's both hand and eye tracking. Um, so in this video recorded, so we can actually see where they're looking first. Whether they look at this control first or this one second or this third or fourth, and you know, what do they reach for and click on first or turn as a knob. That way we can observe them, see what they're doing wrong, see if they wasn't doing correct. And then this is, we test with, you know, 20, 30, 40 people and measure those patterns across all of their hand and eye tracking and make the most efficient design. Interesting. So hand and eye tracking. So I think a logical question that kind of stems from that is, in my lab here at Clemson University, we do a reasonable amount of work with uh, AR and VR, so augmented and virtual reality. So augmented reality and virtual reality. So we do a reasonable amount of work and we've started to look at the implications of AR and VR for design specifically. So is it possible to create virtual environments that make it a little bit easier for us to design and then evaluate prototypes, you know, versus creating physical prototypes that we have to design, we have to build, so on and so forth that are, you know, more difficult to change, things of that nature. Um, so we started looking more at uh, AR and VR. I would imagine with some of the innovations in this area and some of what I've seen other companies doing around using that technology, that there might be potential implications for what it is or for some of the problems you're hoping to address with respect to making production more efficient, streamlining production processes and things of that nature. Have you all started to or maybe considered the use of uh, augmented reality or virtual reality in some of the uh, solutions that you're trying to come up with? The augmented reality applications are not exactly in headset, but it's something that GM is looking into in terms of parts for vehicles. So looking at, you can point uh, a tablet to a vehicle and see exactly all of the parts are in that vehicle. And you can identify which one has a faulty part and that to your place. So I know that there's some use happening in that realm, but in terms of the, for the HMI controls, right? The actual hardware controls that we have, the reason why a, headset will not be the best use for a user is that something that they are not familiar with like that's not the natural state right? they have a headset on their field of vision is reduced 
they have a whole interface in the headset that is distracting them, right? On then what they're looking at and in their natural state to make the decisions that they would do naturally. So in that scenario, the external camera just to track them works better uh, for them to just be at ease and, and just do their work and we just observe and we can track them properly. That makes sense. So following up on that, we're just talking a little bit about, you know, how augmented reality could potentially be used in an automotive context. So I think a question that kind of emerges out of that is what are some of the, and to the degree that you can speak to it, what are some of the research methods from a need finding perspective? So trying to understand what the users, what the driver or operator's needs are, what are some of the user research methods that you employ to essentially do that? Whether we're talking about exploring in vehicle systems, whether we're talking about assembly line or that, you know, type of work, you know, making internal tools, what are some of the research methods that you all employ that help you really get a better understanding of what the user's needs are? I see myself as more of an expert in UI than research. So I'm probably not the best to answer in-depth research questions, but I'm happy to answer anything with more more on the UI front. Yeah, definitely. Please. So on the user interface side, especially with main manufacturing, manufacturing is such a dense space and it is very different in terms of traditional UI, right? It's not really web. Uh, it's not really a typical web application or a mobile application, right? It is, you know, there is more kind of desktop Windows software application that's used. That's it. It's a whole different case of understanding, just a design system, design guides or UI guides in terms of Windows, Windows applications. But in terms of actual UI, it's all custom, right? We're working with the front-end engineers. There's a larger need for organization of the UI and the styling, more attention of detail that's needed because you can't really follow a typical UI style guide of text hierarchy and buttons and you know just standardize standardize things so on the manufacturing side it's about the physical and digital presence that's needed so actually observing the plant engineers using the controls on the plant and simulating those controls in the ui is a custom design that's needed right and clicking a button is not the same as turning a knob right so in terms of tactile feedback on the ui side an understanding of that. And also an important part of this is that in terms of user behavior and user kind of context is that you're looking at the majority of the plant engineers, the, you have to look at the level of tech literacy that they have. So looking at tech literacy, you can gauge that, are they going to understand a common UI pattern, something like pagination? Are they going to understand pagination? Are they going to understand a dropdown? Like how does a dropdown work exactly? So this level of detail is what's really important as well in terms of very specific users, especially on the assembly line. And that's what's incorporated in the design as well. So that means that there's larger, larger buttons, there's a larger text focus on simplicity, although you have to manage simplicity with extremely complex manufacturing information. So combining those two and then, you know, looking at a much more simple way of simulation, right? Just buttons, you know, also with lights, different lights and different colors comes in accessibility design, designing for colorblindness, red, green, blue, right? The different shades that has to pass all of those. 
so I think there's a long way, long about way of getting to how challenging challenging the UI is in this space. And that's also why I'm attracted to this challenge. But from the UI side, all of those things have to come together. And there is a lot of overlap between research as well. But it's more of user behavior research and less kind of on this in-depth, more on in-depth research process. Interesting. So to follow up on that, we've seen really, I would say, you know, over the past five to 10 years, a movement away from physical controls in the vehicle. So we've seen a greater proliferation of digital interfaces and touchscreens and a movement away from the types of physical buttons and knobs that we've seen previously. And you kind of touched on that a bit a moment ago when you were talking about, you know, the physical knobs and the controls, the UI elements that people are essentially using. Is that true as well in the manufacturing context and in terms of the systems that you're building? Obviously, you're saying that or you said that it's not like traditional, you know, web development because there are, you know, physical or more tangible type controls. So are you seeing more of that in the type of work that you're doing where there's a movement away from basically those physical buttons, knobs, you know, things that you could physically manipulate and more of a movement towards a digital interface? So in the perspective of manufacturing, I don't see that it changing to a digital space anytime soon because manufacturing is very much based. So the user in the assembly line they are, they, most of their attention is on their task itself and looking at the assembly line on what's happening more than the buttons or the controls. So the physical controls has to do with muscle memory, right? It's difficult to have muscle memory when you have digital screens. So when you have a control that they know that is always in the same place that they expect it to be without even looking at it, so they can feel it and they know what it is and they've done it a thousand times. So they know that, hey, to stop the line, I know where it is exactly in terms of reach, in terms of distance, in terms of feel, and they can turn it and they can turn it off, right? Very difficult to do that on a digital screen with a button, right? And with accidental presses that it can happen on a touch screen. So I don't see any digital use happening anytime soon on the manufacturing line, at least because of these reasons and because of how the implications of the task that they're performing. Accidentally stopping an entire line at GM is very costly. So it has to be something that is more weighted in terms of actual physical material. Okay. You make a really compelling argument there. As you were talking, I was thinking about someone on an assembly line, you know, using that muscle memory to basically take an action and really how would you support that basically with a touchscreen? I agree that it would probably be pretty difficult to do that. So to talk a little bit more about design, so to go into a little bit more depth as far as that goes, are there any UI designers that you follow that inspire or inform your work? So I think I'm a bit different in this sense when it comes to following people. I follow more of their of the types of work that I'm looking for more than the designers themselves. So I like to get as much inspiration and different styles and different ideas as much as possible. So I mean, one of my favorite you know, websites to use is Dribble for UI inspiration. And so to answer that, you know, I don't have specific names, but I have groups. I make basically mood boards and different groups of different UI patterns that I find uh, fascinating and unique to follow. Interesting. So you use Dribble and kind of mine the web and other sources of inspiration. Yeah. So within Dribble, it's more on 
let's say that I want to see a particular button pattern that is more of a control-based pattern of like pulling a lever, right, or a slider. Then I make a group for that. Then I scour different ideas, not based on the designers themselves, but based on the idea. And I bring together all of those ideas into that group. And then I make another group for another pattern. So it's based on the actual content of the UI and more than the artist, uh, the designer. No, I think that makes sense. So you're driven more by the artifact. So what is their art? You know, what is the end product and how can that inform what it is you're doing versus really being, you know, overly focused on a particular individual or person who's basically uh, producing that work? I think that makes a lot of sense. So what type of things uh, normally inspire you? I know that's somewhat of a broad question, but you know, you talk about using Dribbble and looking at things on the web. UI, in terms of how I really think about really any type of design activity, a lot of it I feel like is predicated on having good inputs. So inspiring yourself, exposing yourself to a number of different uh, tools and techniques, things of that nature. So what normally inspires you? What gets you motivated to design and what kind of informs uh you know, your specific approach? So I would speak first at a higher level that I'm, I love nature and I'm inspired by nature in terms of my design as well. There's lots of things personally for me to learn from nature. For example, if you look at, and this is something that I try to connect patterns in nature and with animals and with plants that I do with my UI design. So for example, if you look at a pattern of a leaf, there's a central line and there's essentially the vein patterns that are going off. And if you look at the different patterns, there's a top down or right to left happening. And if you look at UI design, right, there's a left to right or right to left pattern, right, that people read, people read from, right? And if you look at, you know, plant, those plant design, like roots and the way that they, they spread, there's some informational guidance, right, that you can take from that. You know, what is the most important thing to see first? What is the second, third, right, in terms of level, in terms of spreading information. I look at, you know, patterns of animal behavior, right? So if you look at how, and even, you know, so simple things of like rain, right? Like, you know, water, water patterns. If you look at, you know, in, for example, a squirrel with a nut, right? And how they open the nut, right? So like in terms of difficulty of, of information, opening that security, right? There was a pattern from that that I incorporated into one of my designs, and this was not a GM, it was a previous company, about literally opening, like breaking a button, or breaking a page. And to get to information, that's something that they can't easily change because that has a bigger impact, right? So this type of things, and in nature, is a big inspiration for me in that sense. So that reminds me of a project that I worked on maybe about 10 years ago at this point. And what really struck me about what you just said was the idea of animal behavior. So we were working on at that time was trying to leverage insect behavior and then applying that to the design of algorithms. So we were specifically looking at the behavior of the harvester ant, which if you pay attention to the harvester ant or you do any research on it, it's really interesting the way they basically get around the environment. So what we wanted to do was to see if we could leverage what we observed about how they move around their physical space and apply that to algorithms that govern how autonomous vehicles, how a fleet of autonomous vehicles would basically move around similarly constrained type of uh, space. So I think there's a lot that can be drawn from nature. So I really think that, you know, what you just shared will probably resonate with, with a lot of people. 
who also uh, look to nature for, you know, how to do specific things or, you know, to draw best practices or insights even, you know, into design. So that's really interesting. So we're running short on time. So I wanted to, you know, just ask my last few questions. What would be some strategies or what would be some advice that you would give to someone, you know, maybe a student, someone who's in high school or someone who's in college, maybe a freshman or a sophomore who's interested in getting into the automotive industry and doing what you do? What would you tell them in terms of how to get there? So the first advice I would give to a a student, someone that's learning user experience and also wants to get into the automotive industry is, well, the first high level is always follow your heart, you know, literally listen to your heart and what it's saying and what is something that is pulling you in one direction. There's a good reason for that. So, you know, if you have back of your mind that you have an interest in the automotive space, you know, go for it, learn more about it. You will find your path within, within this space. The other is in terms of the automotive industry, I would say, you know, always learn as much as you can about the current trends in the, in the automotive industry in terms of vehicles, in terms of the technology. There's more and more technology that's being used and more and more software that's being used in the vehicles. That's just how it's going to be, right? That's where it's headed. And in terms of electric, electric vehicles as well, in terms of battery information, battery type, you know, where it's being sourced from. All of these details, as much as possible, you can learn because that can only help you in the type of work that you do and to have that context. The other advice, very important advice, that's something that I didn't learn in my, I studied uh, interaction design in my school, was to learn how to work with software teams when you get to a company, right? When you're working in a company, the learning about the agile software method, right? Agile development. When you'll be working, how to work with software engineers, how to work with product managers, what is the system that they all follow? How do, how do you communicate with each other? These are very important things to learn. This is what actually people look for when you're doing internships as well and something that you can learn quickly on. So that's something that I would say, the last point I would say is very important for students. Very good advice. And I hope uh, those who are listening really take that to heart, especially what you said about following your heart, you know, when you're pulled in a specific direction. I think that's uh, very well put. Finally, who in the world of uh, the automotive industry would you most like to take the lunch? That's a question that I like to always end on. Who in the automotive industry, if you could pick anyone, would you most like to take the lunch? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say so Mary Barra is a GM's CEO and Jim Farley, the Ford CEO. Well, why I'm interested in both. But I can start with Ford. I think Ford does a really good job of understanding market mechanics and understanding what customers want uh, in terms of products as well as GM. That's something that I personally want to learn more about and get better at is understanding more on the business side and you know what are market mechanics, you know what what are projections like what do customers want? How do you make a product that even people don't know what they want but they need, right? Understanding that part of it, something that's more than design, a more higher level than design. So learning that from Jim Farley, learning that from Mary Barra. I know people would say, what about Elon Musk? <laughs> but I, you know, I personally would leave him out because of other reasons that I have that I'm not going to mention. I would say those two, you know, I think both of, both GM and, and Ford has done a great job of, of producing vehicles that people want and they look for and they get excited about and they have such a long histories of automotive automotive history in, in the world. 
So there's a lot to learn from those two. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. I think we covered a lot of topics in the time that we've spent that many people will probably be able to get a lot from. So thank you for joining me today. And hopefully we will talk soon. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you again. So we were joined by Ridwan Pathagara, and this is Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast. Thank you very much. That's all for today's episode for the UX for Mobility podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes and feel free to leave us a review to let us know what you think. And a special thanks to our guests for sharing their expertise with us and to our listeners for tuning in. Join me again next time for more exciting discussions on Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast.